episode is about the fact that I am never squeaky clean. I may look innocent to many people. And even though I do have a pure heart, I want it to be clear that I'm rated R. I am NC-17. I am Triple X, rated 18X plus, I'm X rated, and I am TV slash MA, TV mature. That's how I live my real life. The seven words you can ever say on television. So, this is the original version of George Carlin's classic routine from his landmark comedy album, Class Clown, 1972. At the time, the words were considered highly inappropriate and unsuitable for broadcast on the public airwaves in the United States, whether radio or television. As such, they were avoided in scripted material and bleep censored in the rare cases in which they were used. Broadcast standards differ in different parts of the world. Then and now, although most of the words on Carlin's original list remain taboo on American broadcast television as of 2013, the list was not an official enumeration of forbidden words, but rather was compiled by Carlin. Nonetheless, a radio broadcast featuring these words led to a U.S. Supreme Court decision that helped establish the con- that helped establish the extent to which the federal government could regulate speech on broadcast television and radio in the United States. This is track nine on George Carlin's uh, comedy album called Class Clown 1972 again. I love words. I thank you for hearing my words. I wanna tell you something about words that I think is important. They're my work, they're my play, they're my passion. Words are all we have really. We have thoughts, but thoughts are fluid, you know, like, woo, 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 pop. Then we assigned a word to a thought and we're stuck with that word for that thought. So be careful with words. I like to think that, yeah, the same words that hurt can heal. It's a matter of how you pick them. There are some people that aren't into all the words. There are some that would have you not use certain words. Yeah, there are 400,000 words in the English language, and there are seven of them that you can't say on television. What a ratio that is. 393,993 to seven. They must be really be bad. They'd have to be outrageous to be separated from a group that large. All of you over here, use seven bad words. That's what they told us they were, remember? That's a bad word. No bad words, bad thoughts, bad intentions, and words. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, 
cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that will infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Wow. And tits, in quotations, doesn't even belong on the list, you know. Man, that's such a friendly sounding word. Sounds like a nickname, right? Hey, tits, come here, man. Hey, hey, tits, meet toots. Toots, tits, tits, toots. Sounds like a snack, doesn't it? Yes, I know, it is a snack. But I don't mean your sexist snack. I mean new Nabisco tits. And new cheese tits, corn tits, pizza tits, sesame tits, onion tits, tater tits. Bet you can't eat just one. That's true, I usually switch off. But I mean, that word does not belong on the list. Actually, none of the words belong on the list, but you can understand why some of them are there. I'm not completely insensitive to people's feelings. I can understand why some of those words got on the list, like cocksucker and motherfucker. Those are heavyweight words. There's a lot going on there. Besides literal translation, and emotional feeling, I mean, they're just busy words. There's a lot of syllables to contend with, and those Ks, those are aggressive sounds. They just jump out at you like cock sucker, motherfucker. Cock sucker, motherfucker. It's like an insult on you, so I can dig that. You mentioned shit earlier. And two of the other four-letter Anglo-Saxon words are piss and cunt, which go together, of course. A little accidental humor there. The reason that piss and cunt are on the list is because a long time ago, there were certain ladies that said, those are the two I am not going to say. I don't mind fuck and shit, but P and C are out, which led to such stupid sentences as, okay, you fuckers. I'm going to tinkle now. And of course, the word fuck. I don't really, well, that's more accidental humor. I don't want to get into that now because I think it takes too long, but I do mean that. I think the word fuck is a very important word. It's the beginning of life, yet it, yet it is a word we used to hurt one another quite often. People much wiser than I am have said, I'd rather have my son watch a film with two people making love than two people trying to kill one another. I, of course, can agree. It is a great sentence. I wish I knew who said it first. I agree with that, but I like to take it a step further. I like to substitute the word fuck for the word kill and all of those movie cliches we grew up with. Okay, Sheriff, we're going to fuck you now, but we're going to fuck you slow. So maybe next time... I'll have a whole fucking ramp on the N-word. I hope so. Those are the seven you can never say on television under any circumstances. You just cannot you just cannot say them ever, ever, ever. Not even clinically. You cannot weave them in on the panel with Doc and Ed and John. I mean, it is just impossible. Forget those seven. They're out. But there are some two-way words. Those double meaning words. Remember the ones you Googled at in sixth grade? And the cock crowed three times. Hey, the cock crowed.
crow three times. Ha 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 ha. Hey, it's in the Bible. Ha 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 ha. There are some two-way words like it's okay for Kurt Gowdy to say. Robert Clemente had two balls on him, but he can't say, I think he hurt his balls on that play, Tony, don't you? He's holding them. He must have hurt them by God. And the other two-way word that goes with that one is prick. It's okay if it happens to your finger. You can prick your finger, but don't finger your prick. No. I really enjoyed that one because if because George Collin was trying to get us to understand that words are about expressing the honesty of reality. There's a reason why words have been created. Some because of justice, some because of injustice, and some because of a mixture between the two in my view. Um, I'm not just saying these words to say them. It's to get us to pay uh, reasonable attention to the dynamics of words. The utilization of words, the operation of words, and the handling of words because of the realities and the honesty of realities that the words bring. So that's my perspective. Um, This is George Carlin from his Doing It Again comedy special that he did in 1990. Um, but I'm going to read a little bit of it so you can get more understanding of my love of words and more importantly my sensitivity to the employment of words. This is George Carlin. Now, I probably got some other group pissed off at me because I said fruit. There's a different group to get pissed off at you in this country for everything you're not supposed to say. Can't say fruit, can't say faggot, can't say queer, can't say Nancy boy, can't say pansy, can't say nigger, boogie, jig, jigaboo, skinhead, jungle, jungle bunny, mooey, mooleyan, or schwartz, can't say yid, heed, zeeb, kike, mackie, dago, jenny, wop, Genzo, Greaser, Greaseball, Spick, Beaner, Oya, Tiger, PR, Mick, Donkey, Turkey, Limey, Frog, Squarehead, Crot, Jerry, Hun, Chink, Jack, Nip, Slope, Slopehead, Zip, Zipperhead, Gook. There is absolutely nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those words in and of themselves. They're only words. It's the context that counts. It's the user. It's the intention behind the words that makes them good or bad. The words are completely neutral. The words are innocent. I get tired of people talking about bad words and bad language. Bullshit. It's the context that makes them good or bad. The context that makes them good or bad. 
For instance, you take the word nigger. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the word nigger in and of itself. It's the racist asshole that's using it that you ought to be concerned about. We don't care when Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy says it. Why? Because we know they're not racist. They're niggers. Contacts. Contacts. We don't mind their contacts because we know they're black. Hey, I know I'm whitey, the blue-eyed devil, patio fake, gray boy, hunky motherfucker myself. Don't bother my ass. They're only words. You can't be afraid of words that speak the truth. Even if it's an unpleasant truth like the fact that there's a bigot and a racist in every living room, on every street corner in this country. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth, so they invent a kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. And it gets worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. Um, I'll give you an example of that. There's conditioning combat. Most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum, can't take any more input. The nervous system is either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language, two syllables, shell shock. Almost sounds like the dunst themselves. That was 70 years ago, then a whole generation went by, and the Second World War came along, and the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue. Four syllables now, it takes a little longer to say, it doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock, shell shock, battle fatigue. Then we had the war in Korea in 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time. And the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. Hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And then and the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase. It's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. Then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about... 16 or 17 years, and thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. Still, eight syllables, but we added a hyphen, and the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I bet if we have still been calling it shell shock, some of the Vietnam veterans might have gotten the attention they needed at the time, but it didn't happen. One of the reasons is because we're using that soft language, that language that takes the life out of life. I'll read a little bit more, then I'll stop, okay? And it is a function of time. It does keep getting worse. Give you another example. Sometime during my life, sometime during my life, toilet paper became bathroom tissue. I wasn't notified of this. No one asked me if I agreed with it. It just happened. Toilet paper became bathroom tissue. Sneakers became running shoes. False teeth became dental appliances. Medicine became medication. Information became directory assistance. The dump became the landfill. Car crashes became automobile accidents. Partly cloudy became partly sunny. Motels became motor lodges. House trailers became mobile homes. Used cars became previously owned transportation. Room service became guest room dining. And constipation became occasional irregularity.
Well, I agree with uh, George Carlin. I I love words that reveal the truth. I love words that uncover reality. Um, I was never big on euphemisms nor euphemistic language, so I agree with him there. I don't like soft language. I love language that tells the raw, uncut truth, right? And I agree with him when he says that the words are naturally innocent. Um, I agree that the words are completely naturally neutral. So I don't believe in bad words and bad language per se in the polite society perspective. I do agree with him when he says it's the it's the context that makes them good or bad. It's the intent behind the words that makes them good or bad. It's the use, it's the context that counts their only words, the words are completely neutral, the words are innocent. I agree. I agree that there's absolutely nothing wrong with any and all words in and of themselves. It's all about the user's usage and about the user too. So I agree with him. Um, Okay. I remember doing that George Carlin bit in a previous episode. But I had to bring it back to give you more clarity. ScienceAlert.com. Swearing is actually a sign of more intelligence, not less, says scientists. Richard Stevens, The Conversation, February 2nd, 2017. The use of obscene or taboo language or swearing, as it's more commonly known, is often seen as a sign that the speaker lacks vocabulary, cannot express themselves in a less offensive way, or even lacks intelligence. Studies have shown, however, that swearing may in fact display a more rather than less intelligent use of language. While swearing can become a habit, we choose to swear in different contexts and for different purposes, for linguistic effect, to convey emotions, or laughs, or perhaps even to be deliberately nasty. Psychologists are interested in when and why people swear try to look past the stereotype that swearing is the language of the unintelligent and, and illiterate. In fact, a study by psychologists from Marist College found links between how fluent a person is in the English language and how fluent they are in swearing. The former verbal fluency can be measured by asking volunteers to think of as many words beginning with a certain letter of the alphabet as they can in one minute. People with greater language skills can generally think of more examples in a lot of time. Based on this approach, the researchers created the swearing fluency task. This task requires volunteers to list as many different swear words as they, as they can think of in one minute. By comparing scores from both the verbal and swearing fluency tasks, it was found that the people scored highest on the verbal fluency test also tended to do best on the swearing fluency task. The weakest in the verbal fluency test also did poorly on the swearing fluency task. What this correlation suggests that is that swearing isn't simply a sign of language poverty, lack of general vocabulary, low intelligence. Instead, swearing appears to be a feature of language that an articulate speaker can use in order to in, can use in order to communicate with maximum effectiveness and actually 
some uses of swearing go beyond just communication. So natural pain relief. Research we conducted involved asking volunteers to hold their hand in iced water for as long as they could tolerate while repeating a swear word. The same set of participants underwent the ice water test on a separate occasion, but this time they repeated a neutral non-swear word. The heart rate of both sets of participants was monitored. What we found was that those who swore withstood the pain of the ice cold water for longer, rated it as less painful, and showed a greater increase in heart rate when compared to those who repeated a neutral word. This suggests they had an emotional response to swearing and activation of the fight or flight response. An actual defense mechanism that not only releases adrenaline and quickens the pulse, but also includes a natural pain relief known as stress induced and I want to make sure I'm saying this word right. Please give me a minute because I don't want to sound like an idiot. Analgesia. So one more time because I like to use the built-in computer mic so I can pronounce hit it self. Analgesia. Thank you for listening. This, this, this suggests they had an emotional response to swearing and an activation of the fight or flight response, a natural defense mechanism that not only releases adrenaline and quickens the pulse, but also includes a natural pain relief known as stress-induced analgesia. This research was inspired by the birth of my daughter when my wife swore profusely during agonizing contractions. The midwives were surprisingly unfazed and told us that swearing is a normal and common occurrence during childbirth, perhaps for reasons similar to our ice water study. Two-way emotional relationship. We wanted to further investigate how swearing and emotion are linked. Our most recent study aimed to assess the opposite of the original research. So instead of looking at whether swearing induced emotion is in the speaker, we examined whether emotion could whether emotion could cause an increase in swearing fluency. Participants were asked to play a first-person shooter video game in order to generate emotional arousal in the laboratory. They played for 10 minutes during which they explored a virtual environment and fought and shot at a variety of enemies. We found that this was a successful way to arouse emotions. Since the participants reported feeling more aggressive afterwards when compared with those who played a golf video game. Next, the participants undertook the swearing fluency task as predicted. The participants who played the shooting game were able to list a greater number of swear words than those who played the golf game. This confirms a two-way relationship between swearing and emotion. Not only can swearing provoke an emotional response as shown with the ice water study, but emotional arousal can also facilitate greater swearing fluency. What this collection of studies shows is that there's more to swearing than simply causing offense or a lack of verbal hygiene. Language is a sophisticated toolkit and swearing is a part of it. Unsurprisingly, many of the final words of pilots killed in air crashes captured on the black box flight recorder feature swearing. And, it's and this emphasizes a crucial point that swearing must be important given its prominence in matters of life and death. The fact is that the size of your vocabulary of swear words is linked with your overall vocabulary, and swearing is inextricably linked to the experience and expressions of feelings and emotions. This is sciencelearn.com, Richard Stevens.
Richard Stevens, the senior lecturer in psychology, T-O-K-E-L-E, University. Wow. So swearing is a part of my high degree of innate intelligence. So, I love my obscene language. But I want to be honest about something that y'all have already been privy to. I curse, I cuss, I'm a, I engage in cursing, I engage in swearing, I engage in expletives, I engage in socially offensive uses of language. Um, I use socially offensive language. And I'm a profane swearer. I use profanity. I do. I, I use vulgar language. I use obscene language. Y'all are already privy to that. I use uh, uh, profanity in my personal life. And when it comes to uh, certain aspects of my personal life, I use them more times or less times depending upon my audience. And I believe in this in the journalistic questions. Before you cuss, before you talk in any kind of way, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, you have to keep in mind of the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the which, and the how. Those are all the journalistic questions that will help you to be 100% appropriate in all areas of life to all audiences, all time periods, and all environments. All right? So... I, I'm an appropriate profane swearer, and as for vulgar obscene language, I'm appropriate about those things, too. I'm appropriate about cursing, I'm appropriate about swearing, appropriate about expletives, it means that, and I'm appropriate about social offensive use of language. I use all these types of languages under uh, the appropriate circumstances, appropriate audiences, and appropriate time clocks. So that's how I am. Because the podcast I have is explicit, you're expected to hear me talk like this at some point. So it's okay that I'm an adult using this language. Um, because when I talk about justice issues, I can't keep my mouth fully clean. No way in hell. Hell no, damn it. Fuck, fuck that. Or some people say, mother, fuck that. Fuck that is how I feel. I feel like doing it for fun. So, here we go. This is Psychology Today. About the author, Neil. Burnt MD is a psychiatrist, philosopher, writer who lives and teaches in Oxford, England. Hide and seek. 
is his blog on Psychology Today. Posted May 19, 2012. Article revised on May 4, 2020. Reviewed by Jessica Schrader. Hell yes, the seven best reasons for swearing. Swearing may be frowned upon, but it can have many unexpected benefits. Our parents and teachers did their best to prevent us from swearing. Children of my generation used to have soap rubbed in their mouths each time they swore, a practice that is, of course, not to be recommended. Yet, even as adults, nearly all of us resort to foul language often several times a day. And our parents and teachers probably did too, albeit mostly under their breath or behind our backs. Here are the seven reasons why. One, pain relief. Swearing activates the fight or flight response, leading to a surge of adrenaline and corresponding analgesic effect. Richard Stevens of Keele University found that people who swear are able to hold their hands in ice water for twice as long. This only helped for people who swear a few times a day, not chain swearers. Presumably, chain swearers are desensitized to their swearing and, and no longer aroused by it. It remains unclear whether some swear words are more effective than others, though. That doesn't seem very likely. We each have our own personal hierarchy of swear words, sometimes even shifting back into our mother tongue for the highest levels. The philosopher Emil Cioran despises Romanian, Romanian heritage, but despite moving to Paris, changing his name, writing French, he still preferred to swear in Romanian. Two, power and control. Swearing can give us a greater sense of power and control over a bad situation. By swearing, we show, if only to ourselves, that we are not passive victims, but empowered to react and fight back. This can boost our confidence and self-esteem and motivate and mobilize us to take corrective action. As Mark Twain put it, when angry count to four, when very angry swear. Three, nonviolent retribution. Swearing enables us to get back at bad people or situations by having to resort to violence. Instead of punching someone in the face or worse, we channel and disarm our anger by swearing instead. True, swearing can also be hurtful, but better a few sharp words than a cold dagger. Swearing can also serve as a warning signal or marker of rank and authority, a bit like an animal's growl says, watch out, stop it, or you're damn well going to pay the price. Poor humor. When among friends, swearing can be a source of mirth. In such circumstances, it represents a release from normal social constraints or like play fighting makes light of a potentially threatening person or situation and to some extent also of ourselves, and that much swearing and humor in general can help to restore perspective on a certain person or situation. Five, peer and social bonding. Swearing can show that we belong in a certain group that we are able to be ourselves and wholly, wholly W-H-O-L-Y, comfortable and secure with the members of that group. If done correctly, it can also signal that we are open, honest, self-deprecating, easygoing, and fun-loving. Another form of verbalization that is closely connected with our emotions is thinking in a clinical practice. I noticed that when people lose the faculty of speech due to brain damage, most commonly dementia or stroke, the ability to sing is often preserved along with the ability to swear. Six, self-expression. Swearing can be a way of sig signaling that we really mean something or that is really important to us. That's why swearing is so much a part of any sport. Also, bronze are register makes us more lively and interesting being used, for example, to add emphasis or punch to our speech. Shakespeare often used foul language, albeit more in inventively than most. It, away, you starveling, you elf skin, you dry eats tongue, bulls pizzle, you stock 
fish at the same time, swearing could also be a way of showing that something really means something to us. The philosopher Paul Fairbred makes this point very profoundly. When sophistication loses content, the only way of keeping in touch with it with reality is to be crude and superficial. Oh, something in a swearing can be a way of showing that someone really means something to us. That's true too. So lastly for this one, seven, improve psychological and physical health. Health benefits of swearing include increased circulation, elevated endorphins, and an overall sense of calm, control, and well-being. The case to do it sparingly and not to get angry at the same time, which would be very bad for you, for us to the vulgar. Wow. Wow, I must have all the benefits of swearing. I do indeed. Wow. That's very encouraging to me. Um, I appreciate that very much. So goodhousekeeping.com. This is by Carolyn Picard. She's a health editor. Caroline is the health editor at goodhousekeeping.com, covering nutrition fitness, wellness, and other lifestyle news. This is by Carolyn Picard again, January 2017. If you swear a lot, you're more honest. Science says so damn straight. Your mother might have scolded. Watch your language, but don't let her but don't let her delicate sensitivities curb your cursing. Swearing, also known as the unfiltered genuine expression of emotions, might mean you're more honest, a new study says. Scientists from the University of Cambridge recently surveyed 276 people about the most commonly used swear words and how often they say are right them. The test also measured, measured the participants' in honesty with questions about blaming others, cheating at games, taking advantage of people. And surprise, surprise, those who use salty language the most lie the least. There are two ways of looking at it. You might think of, you might think if someone is swearing a lot, this is a negative social behavior study co-authored David Stillwell for the Daily Mail. On the other hand, they are not filtering their language, so they are probably also not putting their stories about what is going on through similar filters, which might turn them into untruths. Essentially, if you drop a few F-bombs, I'm gonna give some examples. Fuck, 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 fuck. You're probably not too worried about making yourself look better in front of other people. A second larger experiment with almost 74,000 people 74,000 Facebook users pointed to the same conclusion. Researchers compared the frequency of profanity and phrases that indicate truth-telling, such as first-person pronouns like me in quotations and anxiety-driven words like worried in quotations. It turned out people who keep it clean also try to look cooler online, even if it involves fudging the truth. This story, which was accepted for publication in the Journal of Social Psychological and personality science provides a justification all potty mouths need to hear. And if anyone gives you grief about those four letter words, like another one shit, 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 shit. Fire back with the most famous comeback of all. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You can say, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a shit. And frankly, my dear, I don't give a fuck. That's how it is. So I'm, a, I'm an extremely honest, extremely intelligent person because I use salty language. I use the unfiltered gene expressions of emotions. I do have a potty mouth. 
I drop F-bombs, fuck, 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 and I drop other four-letter words, shit, 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 or damn, 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 damn. And you have extremely intelligent, extremely honest people who don't curse. And that is beautiful. That is lovely. And I really mean that. Um, the important thing is just have a solid character, right? So let's talk about all the reasons why I don't want to have children. Let's start with my childlessness. Um, Here we go. I figured out that I am childless by choice. People are childless by choice. That is who I am. So I am a voluntary childlessness. I am also child free. I, every day I make the voluntary choice not to have children. Every day I make the voluntary choice not to have a child. So, here are the rest of the reasons why I choose to be permanently childless by my choice. I have the unwillingness to disrupt my current work and my private home life. I have an unwillingness to sacrifice freedom and independence to rearing children. I have an unwillingness to give up my current lifestyle. Um, I don't want to give up my... I don't want to give up my freedom and my independence and my children. I don't. Um, what else? I want to... Also, there's the rising cost of raising a child in the, as society industrializes and urbanizes. That's another reason for my um, being uh, child-free on purpose. Being busy with work, that would be me. Uh, I have the unwillingness to pay the cost of raising a child. Um, 
I have the belief that I can better contribute to the welfare of existing deep-rooted children than to produce even more. That really resonates with me. I have the belief that I can make an even greater I have the belief that I can make an even even greater contribution to humanity through my work than through having children. My example would be uh, my authorship and publishing uh, life and life enhancing books. I have opposition to capitalism. I believe believe to necessary. I have opposition to capitalism. Believe to necessitate procreation. Um, I have the belief that I can still contribute to the education of children to become happy and impactful human beings. As societies, for example, you know, by being a teacher or babysitter without my being a parent myself. Um, I have the view that spending time with other people's children in appropriate manners is sufficient for my own happiness. Um, do I have I have the belief that other people are better suited to have children than myself I already have enough problems of my own I want to go about my personal well-being, health, and happiness. I'm not willing to experience sleep disruption, which is a, which is a reason that comes along with those who choose to have children. They get to suffer from sleep di- disruption on that, and that won't that won't happen to me. So yeah, so focus on my personal well-being, my health, and my happiness. Um, uh, for example, I have career orientation intellectual pursuits, which may be at odds with parenthood. Um, I don't want to have to repeatedly clean up a child's mess. Um, 
Oh, my ha- my having no children allows me to save more money for reti- for my retirement. Um, I'm experiencing my, you know, I love that there's declining support for traditional gender roles and that people need to have children to be completely successful. Um, I feel those feelings. Then there's the expensive higher education print. And then there's the, you know, living in a time of pestilence or economic recession. Um, I'm simply not wanting to have children. And other pop, and this is my last one when it comes to my, when it comes to a reason for my being child free due to my own free will. I have other possibilities in my life opening up due to the lack of children. Hold on. Actually, two more than I'm done. I have refused to have my needs and wants subjugated by little ones, by little young ones. Actually, a little more than this is the third one. Reason. I have preference of pursuing my personal development to raising children. And I'm concerned about the possible deterioration of my personal relationships if I became a parent. So here are the signs that I should never get married. I don't believe in marriage. I don't believe in it. It meaning marriage, I don't believe in it. Some people consider marriage little more than a piece of paper and others think it's the only way to truly commit. And there's nothing wrong with either opinion. Many people feel that you can be married in your heart and you don't need a legal agreement to confirm your love, says psychologist Dr. Paulette Sherman, author of Dating from Inside Out and the Book of Sacred Baths. They fear it just complicates things by making about commingling property, assets, and tax instead of about your heartfelt commitment to the other person. Two, I want to save money. Let's be honest. Weddings are weddings are expensive and it's not crazy to not want to spend your entire life savings in one day. Consider the average wedding cost in the United States is a whopping $33,000. $391, a nice chunk of a down payment on a home. Deciding not to get married so you can keep your money in your bank is a smart move. Okay. Three. This is when I say I, I mean, I'm making it personal to me. I don't feel like I need to prove my love. Weddings have one purpose. Aside from joining forces with another person for life, you're also showing everyone important in your life is how much you love each other. 
Some people don't see the need and are just fine being committed to someone minus a social display of affection. That would be me. Six, I, I disagree with the definition of marriage. Marriage is quite the colorful history, something not everyone is cool with being part of because they don't agree with it politically. Some people feel that historically marriage has been a way for society to repress certain groups, Sherman says. For example, at one point, some women were treated as property of their husbands and were allowed to vote. And in many countries, gay couples still can't legally marry. Some people don't want to take part in an institution that fosters this type of discrimination. And to be honest, I thought I wanted to get married, but I recognized due to my uh, fundamentalist community, they were shoving being a family man, make an honest out of a good woman uh, rhetoric towards me. Okay, five. I never wanted to get married. While some people grow up dreaming of their perfect wedding down to the dress and theme colors, that's not the norm for everyone. If you're not someone who already has a pen interest board filled with everything you want on your special day, and that's not something you see yourself getting excited about anytime soon, you can enjoy being in a relationship without the IDs. Um, eight, I want my freedom. When you get married, you're legally locked down to one person forever. For some, that sounds amazing, but for others, not so much. If you want to keep your freedom, marriage might not be the best fit for you. Avoiding the paperwork means you continue doing what you want, when you want, without having to get permission from anyone else. And everything, when I say I, and read after all the words describe who I am. Um, nine, I like things as they are. Current things are feeling pretty great as they are. Why make a big move and get married? That's an expression. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some people, if their relationship is happy and works, they don't need to complicate it with legal repercussions and a ceremony that validates their relationship from the outside, Sherman says. That would be me. Um, okay, I don't want the stress. That's be 13. Weddings are supposed to be about love, but oftentimes there's a whole lot of stress behind all those smiles. If you don't handle pressure well and try to keep your life as relaxed and stressful as possible, getting married might not be your favorite thing. In fact, it could easily turn into a total nightmare. I handle pressure well. It's just I don't have to handle pressure and I choose not. Oh, 16. I'm already married to my career. Some people become infatuated with another person and want to spend their life making them happy. Then others have another one true job, their job. Then others have another one true love, their job. If you would rather spend your time advancing your career side of your relationship, keep on being a total boss, there's nothing wrong with choosing your passion of the marriage. That would be me. 17. I don't need someone to complete me. I don't need someone to complete me. Basically, every romantic comedy ever revolves around someone finding the person who makes them feel whole. You can thank Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire and Jerry Maguire for the iconic "You Complete Me" quote. 
The hopeless romantics of the world want nothing more than to share their life with their soulmate. But if you don't feel like you need someone to complete you to be happy and satisfied with your life as it is, don't feel like something is wrong with you. So it's totally okay to be your own soulmate. I am my own soulmate, and that's totally okay with me. Um, 18. Well, I don't feel like marriage adds value to my life. Between the lovey-dovey reasons, between the lovey-dovey reasons and tax perks, tax perks, there are plenty of draws to marriage. But if you don't feel like getting married will add any value to your life, there's no reason to complicate things. Just keep paving your own path, and you'll be just fine. So far, all these things with me. Um, 19. I'd rather spend my money on traveling. Some couples decide to save up and spend all their hard-earned money on their wedding just one day of their entire lives. If you'd rather spend that $30,000 or more on something else, like traveling around the globe and crossing places off your bucket list, why not? There's no reason to feel like you need to spend your money on a photographer and DJ if you'd much rather spend it backpacking through Europe. Um, 21. I love being independent. I love being independent. Independence is an amazing thing. If you're someone who loves taking care of yourself, supporting yourself, and being by yourself and don't want anyone else to do that for you, why get married? There's nothing wrong with being content with me, myself, and I. Twenty-four. I'm not overly traditional. Some people are incredibly traditional, live by rules that have guided society for what feels like forever, and marriage is a big part of that tradition. If you don't feel like you share those same traditional values, maybe a wedding isn't something you see yourself doing would be much happier just living life sans legal documents. Twenty-six. You want to spend time on other. Twenty-six. I want to spend time on other things. The year before your wedding basically involves one thing, planning, planning, and some more planning. So any bit of free time you have instantly gets, so any bit of free time you have instantly goes toward crossing all the to-dos off your list that are required for marriage. If you don't want your wedding to take over your life and would rather spend your time doing other things, don't feel guilty. That would be me. 28. I like being alone. There are two types of people in the world. Those who need to be around other people 24-7 and those who love nothing more than being all alone. If you like flying solo, would prefer being by yourself, ditching the idea of marriage might work in your favor. Plus, you'll get to choose your Netflix shows in peace, which is always a perk. Um... I don't like the idea of being a spouse. Some people long for finally being able to call themselves so-and-so spouse, or just being a spouse, and others gag a little every time they hear it. You don't like the, if you don't think that the title has a nice ring to it, would rather just stay how you are, probably a sign you shouldn't be walking down an aisle. That would be me. Um, I don't like monogamy. When you get married, you're joined with one other person till death do us part. Well, that's an amazing thing for some. Others see it as a roadblock. For many people, marriage means monogamy, although there are some open marriages. 
perhaps you're someone who gets bored being with only one person doesn't want to remain perhaps you're someone who gets bored being with only one person he doesn't want to remain faithful he wants to have a variety of partners and adventures and romantic relationships in the future Herman says these will all be me now I don't get bad bored being with one person meaning having all of the nail pig reasons for not being a family man it'll be more of but I love my beautiful variety of innerly beautiful partners who just happen to physically turn me on. So I am good at, I am perfect at monogamy. I just don't want to live a monogamous lifestyle. I don't want to remain faithful. I want to have a variety of partners and adventures and I want to have my sexual slash romantic slash physical relationships in the future. I do. I get good bored being with only one person. I'm like, there's so many awesome people out here. I love the one I have, grateful the one I have. At the same time, I just love meeting people who use their brains correctly instead of incorrectly. Um, I don't believe in needing another half. The world lives by the mentality that everyone has an other half. You're not totally complete as a person until you find that missing puzzle piece. If you feel totally fulfilled on your own, keep doing you. Not everyone needs to share their life with another person to be totally happy. That will all be me. Um, Lastly, I want to say, compromising isn't my thing. Some people are stuck in their ways and don't feel the need to adjust their lifestyle to make room for someone else's. Oftentimes, being married requires some compromise and joint decision-making because two people are joining their lives. You may sometimes disagree on certain choices, Sherman says. A good marriage creates enough room for both people's needs to be honored, and some people would rather just do what they want all the time. They don't want to consider how that choice affects the other person. Now, I'm not arrogant. I'm just saying... I just love to do more of what I would like to do. More and more over time. <laughs> so, because these are all the same reasons why I do not want to. Well, hold on, let me restate this. All my reasons for being permanently single by my choice and being permanently childless by my choice are the same reasons why I'm permanently pet free by my choice permanently totally living alone by my choice and permanently and permanently by my choice, I refrain from commitment dating. So, courtships and being engaged are never my things. Uh, permanently by my choice, that's how it, that's how it is. So, now that you understand, 
I also want to say, how would I be if I was in a relationship? I want to say this for the last time. Sex before marriage and living together before marriage would be requirements. Everything else is optional, including uh, marriage, commitment, dating, and um, offspring rearing, offspring having, pet owning, even um, meeting family originally and they may not be comfortable with that and I'm like okay also I want to say that kissing before marriage is definitely required if they want to have offspring they would be parents before the wedding ceremony so those were my saying when I'm in this, this is why I'm not cut out for abstinence. My healthy lust and my healthy love means I literally can't keep myself off wherever I'm attracted to. And before people get concerned, I'm talking about the fact that I only have mutually enthusiastically consenting scenarios, okay? So that's what I wanted to share. And by the way, I wanna be a porn performer whenever I feel like it. I want to be a pornographer whenever I feel like it. Meaning, I'm allowed the frequencies to be true to my mood. My frequencies are true to my mood. No explanation. Um, no excuses. And no justification. So, um, my Let's say I was in a relationship with someone wanted to get married, I would go forth and do the right thing. And get, you know, marriage counseling and marital documents. I would do the whole shebang. Um, so, I'm just very appreciative of me knowing what is best for myself. I can't wait to talk about my dreams in the near future. I definitely will get on the train rolling about that, but I am my own well that I drink from. I love being sex positive. If I were a parent, I'd be a sex positive parent. But I love being a sex positive adult. For real. I love being a gender and sexual diversity championing adult as well. Ooh. I just love to be real. That monocle porn slash rock company. In order to showcase healthy eroticism, healthy sensuality, healthy sex, healthy sexuality, healthy romance, healthy intimacies, healthy intimate relationships, 
and everybody get treated like royalty. One more thing now, conclude. All my partners will my entire body in every which way possible because all things my body are they fetishistic without fetishization, demonization, and dehumanization. One of those things happened to me. I am a female. 